Welcome to Trail and Error, a look at the trail running world from the podium to the pack with your hosts Jay Grady and Tristan Stevenson. We decided to start our own trail running podcast to talk to the people we find interesting in the trail and ultra running world, to find out their highs and lows, their momentous successes and their abject failures, and to perhaps give us all a little bit of inspiration to take on some adventures and challenges of our own. We'll be speaking to runners and athletes, race directors and coaches, sports nutritionists and doctors to get the best out of our own running and hopefully yours too. We hope you enjoy the podcast and if you do, please hit like and subscribe via all the normal podcast feeds. But for now, let's get on with the show. All right, welcome to this episode of the Trail and Error podcast. Just me this week, your host, Tristan because uh, Jay is up on holiday in Scotland running around the highlands and islands um, enjoying himself. So we decided we'd have a go at a solo episode and this is an ask me anything episode. We posed the question to ask me questions on social media earlier in the week and we got a few responses back. Uh, the idea of these kind of episodes, if you've not heard them on other podcasts, is that you can basically just ask any question and we'll have a crack at answering it. It could be about anything, but of course, pretty much all the questions we got are running related and that's absolutely fine. Um, but we'll see how much of a tangle I get myself in as I attempt to go through these questions and, and answer them. Most of them actually are reasonably personal um, so there is no kind of wrong answer as long as I'm being honest. Um, but there are a couple of questions that may uh, require me to dig in some more technical stuff. Uh, so I'll have a crack at that and we can listen back afterwards and critique me on my performance. So let's uh, start here at the top. So question number one, top runner you would like to swap places with? Now, I'm going to kind of answer this question in two parts because it, it, the question in a way is trying to ask me who I idolize as a runner, I think. But that's not necessarily who I would want to swap places with. So my my favorite runners um, in, in ultra distance, um, there's a few. I, I would have to say Zach Bitter would be one that's up there. He, a former 100 mile world record holder, um, an incredible athlete and the athlete that inspired me to have a crack at the kind of low carb approach to endurance running, um, which we'll discuss a little bit in, in another question, actually. Um, so a huge influence over me, a great kind of philosophy and mentality and positivity when it comes to running. He does a podcast called Human Performance Outliers, um, which I listen to um, quite religiously. And uh, he has some great guests on there. Uh, so if you want to check that podcast out, um, it's worth doing so. I'd add Scott Jurek in there as well. Um, when I first got into ultra running, he was <clears throat> really one of the kind of figureheads that inspired me um, reading his book and just kind of getting to understand his personality and mentality when it comes to running. Such a positive individual um, and obviously, you know, in his day, an incredible athlete. Um, you know, winning the races he won and the domination really that he had at the time, especially at Western States, was was quite incredible. Uh, and third one I'd add is Killian Journey. Um, don't really need to explain why he'd be in a list of sort of favourite runners. I mean, 
you know, arguably the greatest endurance athlete on the planet, I would say. Um, certainly the greatest mountain runner that's ever lived and um, still an inspiration to all of us. I mean, all three of these people have something in common in that they are such sort of positive personalities and positive forces in, in the running community. Um, and that, that I think speaks a lot about the kind of people that ultra running attracts, but, um, nevertheless, it's important to have people that are a positive force to inspire the next generation of runners and to, I guess, maintain that same sort of positivity within the community going forward. It sets a standard and that's, that's important. Um, but I wouldn't want to swap places with any of them. Um, the person, this is going to be a bit left field, the person I would swap places with as a runner is Christopher McDougall. Now, Christopher McDougall, the name probably rings a bell. He is the author of Born to Run, amongst other books. And he, uh, the reason I'd swap places with him is because he was the guy that organized this race in Mexico with the Tarahumara. If you haven't read this book, um, I don't know why you're even listening to this podcast, by the way. You have to read Board to Run. It's just like ultra running 101. So if you haven't read this book, pause now, go read it, and then come back and continue with the podcast because um, what I'm about to say might not make too much sense. So Chris McDougall organized this race with Caballo Blanco, um, this semi-mythical figure who'd um, moved down to Mexico to join or sort of be near the Tarahumara, which are this legendary group of ultra runners and the reason I'd swap places with Chris McDougall is because he organized this race. I think it was a 50-mile race through the canyons, Copper Canyons in Mexico, with the Tarahumara, with the Cavallo Blanco, with Jen Shelton, with Scott Jurek. And I just think to have been part of that race, this sort of clash of cultures, this moment in time where the best ultra runners in the world, or in North America anyway, met with the sort of oldest tribe of ultra runners in the world and kind of bashed it out in these canyons for the first time um, and what a moment to have been part of that and to have organized it so yes I would swap places with him in that moment to have experienced that and and see um, the Tarahumara in action on their home turf okay next question bucket list 100 miler well this sort of continues on from the last question really i'm going to be fairly unoriginal uh with this answer um because i think this is probably bucket list number one for many many ultra runners and i would say the western states 100 um again reading born to run reading scott jurek's books it's you know it's just an iconic race and for me it's sort of the pinnacle of ultra running it has everything you know, if you, you've got mountains, you've got canyons, you've got wooded forests, you might have snow, you might have baking sun, you've got rivers to cross. It finishes on an athletics track. It's just, you know, the definition of, of multi-terrain. The, the crowd and the support that you get there is just probably second to none, maybe the UTMB, I guess. Um, and there's just something so special about it. I mean, I'd say that having never actually physically witnessed it. I've, you know, I've seen the films and all that kind of thing. Um, but that would definitely be, be bucket, bucket list number one. And, um, you know, I have to say that most, many of the races that I'm looking to enter now at hundred mile distance, um, are Western States qualifiers because, um, you know, I, I really see that as something that needs ticking off. 
at some point in my future. So, um, yeah, I'm doing the uh, Thames Path. I think that's a Western States qualifier next year. So I'll be getting in the ballot with that. I'm now tempted back to the Arc of Attrition 100 miler because I know that's a Western States qualifier for 2023. Um, I want to do the West Highland Way. That's probably... West Island Way is probably bucket list number one for UK, I would say, um, because it's such an old ultra, because it's, you know, this sort of, you know, historical pathway um, up through the Highlands. Um, I go to Scotland a lot. I love Scotland. It's one of my favorite places. So, you know, there's that too. Um, and yeah, it's a Western States qualifier as well. Um, so, yeah, that's that'll be bucket list number one for me. Uh, question number three, nutritionally, where do you get your energy from? Now, this is a can of worms question, um, but I don't, don't get my energy from cans of worms. Um, I will attempt to sort of break this down into two answers, um, because there's a big distinction between where I get my energy from day to day when I'm sort of training um and then where i get my energy from when i'm racing so as a preface to the answers um, i would say that diet is a sort of quite a personal choice um everyone has well everyone has their sort of methods and ways of dealing with nutrition in and around races and day to day um but also most of us i think are often looking for ways to tweak it and try new things to see what works um nutrition is obviously a big part of being healthy and being fit. Um, but particularly in ultra distance races, nutrition is a major contributing factor because we're on our feet for so long and we have to fuel as we go. And as many of us are aware, um, the action of fueling ourselves can often result in gastric problems that, you know, end up really making us suffer during races, suffers, our performance suffers and, and it can even result in, in DNFs. So, I have been following a um, low carb diet for a year now um, and I've had really great success with it. Um, so generally low carb um, means that I am eating high fat uh, food and reasonably high amounts of protein. I'm careful not to eat too much protein, but I do eat quite a lot. I, I target one gram of protein per pound of body weight every single day which means that i eat somewhere in the region of actually i don't know pounds but basically i eat somewhere in the region of 130 grams of protein a day which is a fair amount but pretty much all of the rest of my calories comes from fat so if you think protein has four grams of calories uh, four, four, four calories per gram it's actually slightly less than that because you, your body creates heat every when it when it uh, metabolizes protein so it's actually probably more like three calories per gram of protein. So that means I'm consuming somewhere in the region of, let's say, uh, 400 calories a day in protein. The vast majority of the rest of my calories comes from fat. So that means I'm eating high fat foods um, such as, well, olive oil, um, butter, lots of nut butter. I mean, I eat tons of nuts, um, almond butter because it's relatively low carb, a little bit of peanut. Um, but I, I, you know, I eat hazelnuts, walnuts, um, what else? Uh, Brazil nuts, macadamia nuts. Those are all nuts that are very high in fat, reasonably low in protein and, and very low in carbohydrates. Um, I eat eggs. Uh, I eat 
eat uh, a, yeah, a lot of cheese. Um, occasionally I eat meat as well. Um, usually not at home. My diet at home tends to consist of sort of vegetarian, high fat uh, foods. But when I'm out or traveling, I do occasionally indulge in meat. And the whole purpose of this is to train my body to use fat as its primary fuel source. And that means it's using fat during my day-to-day, -day, walking around, standing, working, whatever it is, but also when I train. So the purpose of this is when I'm using fat primarily, it means I'm not using liver glycogen, muscle glycogen. I'm preserving that. Now, if you're following a sort of moderate to high carbohydrate diet, which the vast majority of the population is, we rely on things like pasta, bread, rice, which are all things that I don't eat. Um, what you're doing when you're training is you are relying on your muscle and liver glycogen to fuel those training runs and less so on your fat. You're still going to be burning fat as well. Everyone burns fat, especially at sort of low aerobic states. But you're going to be using a lot of that muscle and liver glycogen. And what that means is that when you're running around and training, you're constantly depleting what is a relatively small store of energy. Your liver holds around about 400 calories of glycogen and your skeletal muscle holds about 1600 calories. Now, you can't really use all of those calories. If you get down to around about 40% of that, you're going to really start to struggle to move. So what this means is that if you're on a moderately high to high carbohydrate diet, you can't run for more than around about, say, 1500 calories worth of energy expenditure before you need to start fueling. And if you don't fuel, you're going to bonk um, because there's just not enough uh, glycogen left in your liver and left in your muscles to be able to power those muscles, but also to be able to power your brain. So you need to fuel as you go. And as I mentioned already, fueling is a problem for many people, especially if you're on these long endurance hall events where, you know, you may be burning 10,000, 15,000 calories throughout the day. It means you need to be putting a hell of a lot of calories inside your body. So by following a low carbohydrate diet, by fueling myself mainly on fat, it means I'm defending the calories, the glycogen that's in my liver and in my muscles. And, you know, by doing this for a long period of time, it means that when I'm running in a aerobic state, that is below my aerobic threshold, which for most of us is somewhere around about 70%, 75% of your maximum heart rate, but it does vary. It means that I'm burning 90% of the calories I'm using are coming from um, endogenous body fat. That is body fat that I have on my body. Um, now, the, the, the uh, stats vary, but if you kind of look into the amount of fat that most of us hold in our body, even skinny people have in excess of 20,000 calories of fat stored on their body. You remember fat, for each gram has nine calories. So it's over twice the amount of calories that you get from a gram of protein or a gram of carbohydrate. Carbohydrate has four calories per gram. So we've got more than enough fat on our bodies to be able to fuel very, very long runs without the need to take on exogenous carbohydrates or fats. And um, when I first learned this, this was really quite eye-opening. I was like, wow, you know what? It made me rethink why we have fat in the first place. 
If you think about a, uh, a race fest, which is full of all these carbohydrate snacks and carbohydrate gels and carbohydrate uh, liquids, we're effectively carrying them around like we carry body fat around. We don't need to. We can use the sort of race fest that we're already equipped with, all of that body fat, to fuel these runs. Now, um, there are limitations to it, of course. Once you start to get into higher intensity exercises, um, interval training, hill repeats, um, that kind of thing, your body moves into um, you know anaerobic states, and that's when we start to need these carbohydrates because one of the limitations of fat is that it can't be oxidized as quickly as carbohydrates. So it works fine in low aerobic situations, but once you start getting into high intensity, you need to be able to oxidize something faster, and that's where carbohydrate really plays in. So I, when I'm racing and when I'm training high intensity, I do take on small amounts of carbohydrate, and all that's doing is topping up that muscle glycogen, topping up that liver glycogen, so that I'm preserving those levels and I don't eventually run out of steam through sort of prolonged high-intensity, high heart rate activity. Um, so my preferred carbohydrate source when I'm doing that at the moment is sort of pre-mixed powder into water. Um, I use Tailwind, but I also use you know, other powder. They're all much of a muchness as far as I'm concerned. Um, but when I do this, I'm able to use around about 50% of the recommended hourly dosage. Um, and that's because even at higher aerobic states, I'm still, use, I'm still burning far more fat than someone who you know, is, is using a sort of moderate to high carbohydrate diet day to day. And you know, because of that, it just means I'm putting less sugar inside myself. I have less requirement for these you know, exogenous fuels. And it means that I, you know, have far less risk of encountering gastric problems, um, you know, later down the races because I don't need to be loading 400, 500 calories inside my body every single hour. Um, you know, I'm training for a 24-hour track race at the moment, which obviously is quite going to be quite a low-intensity effort. You know, I'm going to be way down that low aerobic scale of of um, the, the the sort of intensity spectrum and heart rate, and so I feel like a low carbohydrate diet is going to really benefit me in that sense because although I'll be burning a huge amount of calories throughout the day, 80, 90 percent of those calories are going to be coming from fat, and I've got fat on my body that's ready to be burnt, so I won't need to be topping up too much with carbohydrates. The, the The one risk about that is that I am going to just generally get hungry. I mean, over a 24-hour period, you're just going to get hungry because your body's used to having meals. So managing that and working out how I'm going to satisfy, you know, hunger cravings and you know satiate myself is the interesting thing because of course you don't want to be sitting down eating a whole meal and then you know getting back on the track and running. So keeping satiated, um, which I'll be doing with sort of high fat, um, medium sort of low protein foods like nut butters, olive oil. Um, I'll probably introduce a little bit of like bread with olive oil on. Um, and plenty of salt. Now, salt is something that does require a consideration um, <clears throat> when you're on a low-carbohydrate diet. I don't know the um, exact science of it, but effectively, it affects the way that your body um, retains electrolytes. Um, so if you're, if you're running low-carbohydrate or keto... Um, I, by the way, 
the two terms aren't exactly in, uh, exchangeable. Um, a ketogenic diet is when your body enters a state of ketosis and starts using ketone bodies to to fuel um, muscles. Um, I'm not necessarily in ketosis all of the time. Um, I do do keto test strips and to check, and I, I usually I'm in a low level of ketosis, especially after long runs when I've been fasted because my body hasn't had anything other any any carbohydrates or anything other than fat and ketone bodies to fuel the effort. Um, but keto, a, keto, um, a ketogenic diet really requires very low amounts of carbohydrate per day, usually less than 30 grams of carbohydrate per day, which is quite difficult to do if you're still eating things like vegetables um, and, and fruits. I tend to be slightly higher than that, more like 50 to 70 grams of carbohydrate per day. Um, which I think I feel is necessary um, for the amount of exercise that I do um, to help sort of preserve this muscle glycogen and perform well. I don't want to be going into training runs and feeling low on energy. I want to get the best out of those training runs um, and good quality training. So yeah, you you have to supplement electrolytes um, if you're running really low carb. We all supplement electrolytes, of course, when we're, we're running ultramarathons. Um, but I probably take slightly more than the average person. And um, I've been toying with dosage um, over the last year. Of course, it depends a lot on, on like weather conditions and things like that, if you're sweating more. Um, but I've found that I can, I can take on quite a lot of electrolytes and um, it really helps with performance if I'm, uh, you know, if I'm supplementing regularly. So although I'll, I'll have things like Tailwind, because I'm having a lower dose, I'll add additional electrolytes in there as well um, to make sure that, you know, my body's working at peak performance. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not getting cramps. Um, you know, the energy is being transferred around my body efficiently and I've got that fuel and power to be able to, to put the best effort in I can. So yeah, there's the uh, rather long answer to how do, where do I get my energy from? Um, the answer in short is fat. Okay, next question number four. Is there a particular earworm you get when out running and you need to grind out a few miles? Um, I, I, I think uh, if you're running without any audio, like any podcasts or um, music, then uh, it's a wonderfully therapeutic um, process where you can kind of cycle through thoughts, problems, things that you're going to do in the future, things you've done in the past, um, or just get into a state of kind of mindfulness where you're actually in the moment and ignoring both past and future um, and uh, and the anxiety that can come with those things. Um, but yeah, I do find myself occasionally when I'm running quiet and silence that it's a wonderful kind of process of being able to take a more objective view on the thoughts and things that are affecting your life at the time and and kind of really work through them and hammer them out and then come to a resolution within your own mind that you can then take back to your your day-to-day -day life there aren't any particular ones that i deal with i mean obviously things like work and family come up um but um most of the time i don't run in silence i listen to podcasts um so it's um often the thoughts that kind of come through my mind are based on the subject matter that i'm listening to something that happens quite a lot to me while i'm 
listening to podcasts is I make promises to myself that I will reach out to this person or that. Perhaps it's a person on a podcast or perhaps it's someone who's nothing to do with that podcast, but the content has triggered something in my mind that makes me think, you know what, I should speak to, you know, this old friend or this old relative or that acquaintance, such and such a thing. Unfortunately, I rarely keep those promises with myself. Uh, when I get back to uh, reality, um, it either gets forgotten about or I sort of dismiss it as, you know, an endorphin thing that happened during the run and actually a silly idea. Um, but that's something that happens to me a lot when I'm running. I'm like, yeah, I must, I must speak to this person. I must reach out and, and uh, you know, engage. Okay. Next question, number five. Should you get measured for a running shoe? Hmm. Well, I'm not an expert on this kind of thing, to be honest with you. Um, my experience with, with shoes has purely been a kind of one of trial and error, really. Um, I've, I get through a lot of shoes, um, you know, probably five or six pairs a year. Um, I have my favorites, which I have established through a trial and error process. I have other shoes that I look back and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I ran so much in those. I really didn't like those shoes. They just weren't right for me. Um, I think getting measured for a shoe is probably less important than just finding the brand or the type of shoe that works well for you. Obviously, if you're buying shoes, you need to work out what you're going to be doing with them, whether you're going to be running on trails, whether you're going to be running in mud, whether it's all going to be road running or track running, um, and then pick you know, the, shoe that, the shoe or the selection of shoes, the category of shoes that are appropriate for, for that. Or indeed, if you're going to be running on you know, multiple terrains in the same shoe, that's something that people don't talk about very often but you know i have trails near me that i love to run on but i have to run a long road to get there so should i run in a road shoe or should i run in a trail shoe well some kind of crossover shoe would obviously be appropriate and um you know one, one of my favorite shoes which i must have been through eight or nine pairs now is the nike pegasus trail 36 which is the trail the original trail version of the pegasus shoe that nike put out around about three years ago um They've done various iterations of it since the name's changed. It's now the Nike Pegasus Trail 2 and then subsequently Nike Trail Pegasus 3. I haven't actually tried those shoes, but from the reviews I've read, they've sort of it's sort of lost some of what made it special in the first place because it really is just a road shoe upper with a sort of slightly more traily equipped um, outsole. There's, you know, sort of very small, like sort of two millimeter lugs on it. Um, it's really not a shoe that's suitable for like running coast path, for example, um, or, you know, slippery kind of uphill ascents on, on like gravelly surfaces like in the mountains or whatever. But um, for relatively flat trail running, crossing with a little bit of um, road, it's, it's absolutely ideal. And that's why I just keep on going back to it. Unfortunately, um, the supply of them is slowly dwindling because it's not being made anymore. So I fear that the price will continue to go up. But, um, you know, there's nothing like trying a shoe. Um, and, and, of course, you never really know what a shoe's like until you've actually been out for a run in it. It's all very well walking around a shop or whatever. Um, you know, independent running shops are a great place to go for this because that you're going to get a more sort of personalized approach. Um, given that they have to compete with, you know, big online players, that is really their USP. And should never be afraid to go to a shop like that and try on lots of shoes um, before committing to buy because that you know that's where they're going to have the expertise and also independent runner shops tend to be run by runners. Um, I realise I said run quite a lot in that sentence. 
Um, so, you know, they may have a better eye for what you need and what's worked well for them. Um, there is, of course, Runner's Need, um, the chain store, which have treadmills inside. Um, how good their kind of consultancy process is, you know, with the staff kind of getting you on a treadmill and running in shoes and analyzing your gait and your pronation and such and such and such. I don't know. I have done it once before. Um, and I was recommended a shoe that I kind of enjoyed for a while, but it's not one I want to return to. Um, but, um, you know, it could be good for you personally just to get into a place that has a treadmill, get um, get on there and, 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 you know, try as many shoes as you can. If you allow yourself an hour or two to go there, you know, waste the time of the store people. Um, and obviously, you know, if you find a shoe you like, buy it because, you know, you've used their time. But... Um, yeah, getting on a treadmill and running. It's of course treadmill running is not not the same as you know road running or trail running or anything like that. But it's it's better than just kind of pacing around a shop. Um, I think ultimately for anyone who's sort of getting into running and wanting to kind of hone in on a shoe that works for them, it's extremely likely you're going to go through a trial and error process. And of course, you're going to have this sort of niggle in the back of your mind, even when you found a shoe that you like. You know, is this the perfect shoe for me? Is there a better one out there? Should I try other options? Um, and I still have that niggle and I, I, and I do try new shoes. Um, fortunately, when you're doing quite high mileage, you know, you burn through these shoes so quickly that you, you know, you can afford to sort of buy a pair that you're not particularly enamored with. And a few months later, you've done 800 kilometers in them and, you know, you can, you can uh, dispose of them. And, or uh, as I have come to do, I've, I've not thrown away any shoes for a while. I've have all these pairs of old shoes um, stacked up in boxes. Um, I'm not quite sure what I want to do with them, but I'm thinking about making a piece of art of some description that I can put on the wall. I've, it feels somehow, you know, sad to just get rid of them, even even if it's recycling them or, um, you know, sending them off to someone who can make use of them, rerun, whatever, I don't know. It feels a bit sad to sort of see them go because... You become quite attached to these shoes. You know, you run run a few hundred kilometers in them, and uh, they are a part of you for that period of time. Um, it's you and the shoes alone on the trail for for many long hours. So I'm thinking about kind of cutting them up in some way, and then sticking them on a board and framing it so that I can kind of maybe I'll cut the, like the toe the toe box off the front and then adhere the toe boxes to a board. So this piece of art will look like all these kind of shoes sticking out of a board. Um, but I need to get around to doing it at some point um, and probably leave a little bit of space for future shoes too. So there you go. Should you get measured for a running shoe? Uh, I ended up talking about random pieces of art that I want to make. Um, if you could live anywhere, this is question six, I think. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Well, that is a tough question. I am a greedy traveler. Um, I love it. Going to new places, visiting them, trying the food, seeing the environment, you know, embedding myself in the culture. I've been really lucky with my work um, to have traveled to over 90 countries um, and counting. And so I've got to experience so many places and albeit sometimes only for, you know, 24 hours or 48 hours and um and seen a lot and it's you know to to select a single country where i'd like to live is really tough because um i want it all you know i want i want to want to experience all the cultures and environments and 
Um, of course, the question doesn't state that I have to stay there permanently. I can still travel, I guess. Um, but if I was going to pick one, it would have to be the country that I visited the most, both through work and um, holidays with my family, and that is Italy. Um, Italy, for me, just has um, an amazing scenery, um, a great history to it, fantastic drink, and, um, of course, incredibly diverse food, um, that we all know and love. I mean, British food is effectively Italian food, um, although some in some ways kind of adulterated and butchered. Um, of course, with my low-carb diet, Italian food isn't quite so compatible because um, pizza and pasta are, are off the menu. Um, but, um, you know, the cheeses, the meats, the vegetables, the freshness, the flavours of it... Um, you know, I'm a glutton basically. So my the favorite country I'd want to live in is based around the food culture, and um, and I don't think anywhere quite beats Italy. And of course, great trails. Um, I've done a bit of trail running when I've been over there on holiday, and um, there's you can really get lost up there in some of those sort of what do they call it the white roads, which are kind of not really roads. They're like somewhere between a trail and the road, and. Um, yeah, you get baked running up some of those, some amazing mountains and lakes and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'd I'd go with Italy. Um, what have we got? One more left. You'll be pleased to hear. Uh, favorite running film? Well, I would have to go with The Running Man. Now it doesn't rank especially highly across the Schwarzenegger body of work, but I think that the creativity of the costumes and of course the death scenes make it an all-time great running movie you didn't expect that answer did you <laughs> all right um that's it for uh this ama episode gonna get jay to do one um at some point in the future so make sure you message us with questions for him um i think probably a great opportunity to ask any questions you might have about recovery, about stretching, about um, muscle soreness, you know, rehabilitation from injury, um, how to sharpen your elbows so that you can cause yourself ungodly amounts of pain in the comfort of your own home, all that sort of stuff. Um, and maybe we'll do more of these AMAs in the future, perhaps with both of us, perhaps solo, we'll see. Anyway, um, I enjoyed doing that. It was fun. Um, thank you for tuning in, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Trail and Error podcast. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to like, subscribe, and most important of all, share it with your friends and your family. Also, if you have any guest suggestions or suggestions for features that you would like to see on the Trail and Error podcast, please get in touch with us via our social media channels at trail underscore and underscore error underscore UK. It makes more sense when it's written down, I promise you. Oh, and we're on Facebook too. See you next time. Thanks for listening.